Hi, peeps. You're listening to She's My Cherry Pie, the baking podcast from the Cherry Bomb Podcast Network. I'm your host, Jesse Sheehan. I'm a baker, recipe developer, and author of three baking books, including my latest, Snackable Bakes. Each Saturday, I'm hanging out with the sweetest bakers around and taking a deep dive into their signature bakes. Today's guest is Caroline Schiff, my buddy and the executive pastry chef at Gage & Tolmer, the landmarked Brooklyn restaurant that first opened in 1879. The restaurant reopened to great acclaim in 2021 and featured on its menu a classic dessert known as the Baked Alaska. Caroline put her signature spin on the Gage & Tolmer Baked Alaska, and it became one of the most popular desserts in all of New York City. No small feat. Caroline joins me shortly to talk all about this dramatic dessert, its different textures and components, what makes it such a crowd pleaser, and how you can make one at home. A little bit more about Caroline. Some of you might know her from Instagram, where she goes by the handle Pastry Schiff, or perhaps you know her from her debut baking book, The Sweet Side of Sourdough. We'll learn more about this special talent in just a minute. Thank you to Plugra Premium European-Style Butter for supporting today's show. You might be new to Plugra Premium European-Style Butter, but it's been a favorite in my fridge for some time. Summer is finally here, and that means stone fruit and berry season. And Plugra will be my go-to when making fruit pies, cobblers, and more. I love that Plugra contains 82% butter fat. Higher butter fat content means less moisture and more fat, which is precisely what you're looking for when baking. Plugra European-style butter is available in different forms and varieties for all your cooking and baking needs. There's salted and unsalted sticks and solids, and also Plugra Extra Creamy Butter with olive oil and sea salt, one of my faves. If you've learned of anything listening to She's My Cherry Pie, it's that ingredients matter. The next time you bake, reach for Plugra and taste the difference it makes. From professional kitchens to your home kitchen, Plugra Premium European-Style Butter is the perfect choice. Ask for Plugra at your favorite supermarket or specialty grocery store, or visit Plugra.com for a store locator. Dallas Bomb Squad, thank you so much for coming to our Butter Up Buttercup event. I had so much fun meeting all of you and hearing from our guest speakers and panelists. We ate a lot of baked goods, and it was a blast. Thank you also to our hosts at Bird Bakery and to our friends at Plugra Premium European-Style Butter for supporting our very first She's My Cherry Pie event. Now let's check in with today's guest. Caroline, so excited to have you on She's My Cherry Pie and to talk Baked Alaska with you and so much more. I am so excited to be here. So you are a pastry chef, the pastry chef, at Gage & Tolner mm -hmm. in Brooklyn, one of my fave places on the planet, a restaurant where almost every table orders dessert, which is amazing and kind of unheard of and such a tribute to you. Yeah. And you describe yourself as a, quote, restaurant person through and through. What does that mean? Why restaurant work versus bakery work? Talk to us about that. I kind of, I've done it all. You know, I've worked in bakeries. I've done freelance. I've, we'll talk about it more, but I've done a book and like all this stuff. What I've learned throughout the like 15 some odd years of my career is that I'm just such a restaurant person. First of all, I'm not a morning person. 
I know you are. I'm not, I'm, <laughs> I am. <laughs> I'm not one. I had to really set a few alarms for this morning. I'm not a morning person. I thrive in kind of high pressure situations in terms of like how I work. I love working under pressure. I love that sense of urgency that you have at a restaurant and just go. And I also love the theatrics of it and the whole process of welcoming diners into the space, the whole process of the meal from the cocktails that they start with to the the raw bar and the appetizers and then going through all the way to dessert. There's just something so magical about it to me. You'll always see me in the dining room. Like I love walking out and like saying hi to people and seeing people enjoying their meal. There's just like a magic to it. And I really love that energy. So you are a New York City native Mm -hmm. with very famous hair and also (laughs) a very famous dessert. And I promise we're going to get to the dessert. But tell us about the hair only because, first of all, describe it for those that don't know what you look like. And then also, I think I read that actually since you were a little girl, your hair was part of your identity. Yeah, my hair has always been a thing. I've always had a lot of it. It's really big. And since high school, even, I feel like I've just been doing this kind of swooshy updo that's like a little vintage looking. It's very low maintenance, which people are always shocked to hear. Very, very low maintenance. It takes me like 30 seconds to put my hair up into this updo. And really, it's just about getting it like out of my way. Yeah, it's become like my signature thing. And I think it's a big part of, I don't know, who I am and my personality. There's a connection between my hair and the baked Alaska, which is that when I was trying to figure out how I wanted to plate it, it was like I wanted it to be this big, swooshy, whimsical thing. So he and I were working on it. So he Kim, one of the owners of Gage and Tolner and incredible chef and my mentor of you know, playing with this. And I was like, I kind of just want it to look like my hair, <laughs> which is that. a really weird thing to say. <laughs> yeah. But... It helped me sort of, like, visualize it. I love that. All right, now we're going to make a leap from hair to sourdough scallion discard pancakes. Now, this is not the subject of our chat today. We are going to get to Baked Alaska, but these pancakes actually led to a book deal, which is amazing, and I love kind of stories like that. First, can you tell us, just for those that don't know, what sourdough discard is, and in so doing, you probably need to tell us what a sourdough starter is, just in case someone out there does not know. Yes. So I will try to be as concise as possible because sourdough is such a a thing that can, can talk about it for hours. But sourdough is basically... It's a ferment, and it is a wild yeast. So it's basically flour and water that ferments over time. You feed it every day with more flour and water, and it feeds off of the microbiome that it lives in and the wild yeast that's around us and just on all the surfaces in our homes and everything like that and in the air. It's just all around us. And then you can use that to make bread. When you feed the sourdough starter, you are feeding it more flour and water. So if you just kept on doing that and you didn't take a little portion out every day, you would very quickly just be totally consumed by ridiculous amounts of fermenting (laughs) water and flour. So you always have this little portion that is perfectly good 
to eat and play with and use, it really struck me as a shame to be throwing it out. And that's called the discard. The discard is is kind of what is what you discard every day. And this was really early on in the pandemic when flour was hard to get your hands on and there were shortages and supply chain issues. And also it was a really, I mean, it was a very scary time for all of us. And it was also a time of people were having trouble putting food on the table. So it just, it felt like a really awful thing to be throwing away, especially at that time. And I still feel like that. Chefs are very, we don't want to waste anything. This discard kind of took on a life of its own in those early days of the pandemic when I was cooped up along with everybody else and wasn't going to work every day and was feeding the sourdough starter every day. The pancake was sort of born out of that. Can you describe the pancake? Yeah, it's really the easiest thing in the world, and it can be whatever you want it to be. So it's just a hot pan with a little bit of fat in it, oil, butter, whatever you want. You just pour in the discard, and then I would top it with anything. I think the thing that sort of went viral early in the pandemic was I just put some chopped scallions on there, and and that was it. But I've put everything in it, like jalapeno cheddar. You can put blueberries in it, like whatever. It's the simplest thing you can make with your discard. I love the story. And it was actually a book editor who must have followed you on Instagram, seen the post, and contacted you about the possibility of writing a book, yeah. which led to your amazing book, The Sweet yeah. Side of Sourdough, which came out in November of 2021. I just love hearing people's stories about how cookbooks come to be. I know you hadn't intended to write a sourdough book, but it's what came out of you at that time. That's what worked for the publisher, et cetera. But I just love those stories. And just a reminder to listeners, like, yes, book deals are hard to get, but they can come in funny and unusual ways. Totally. So I love that. Yeah. And I think I wasn't necessarily ready to write a book. And I certainly didn't set out to write a sourdough book. But it was like kind of all just came together in this really magical way. And it just felt very true to the time and place we were in. And I look back on it and it's certainly not now. It's like, oh, I I wouldn't write that book now really, I think, tells the story of where we were at. And there's something very comforting to that. Yeah. And I love it that you described it as magical because in my head, I said, it's just a dreamy story of how it came to be. So there's something dreamy and magical and just such a treat to have something so beautiful and special to come out of a dark time. All right. Now I would love to talk about Baked Alaska. Now, first of all, for those that don't know, Can you describe what exactly a Baked Alaska is? Sure. So Baked Alaska is a Victorian-era dessert. So it goes back to the 1860s, I believe. The story is that Antoine's in New Orleans, which is a very famous old restaurant, you should go if you're ever down there, invented this dessert to commemorate the United States purchasing the Alaska Territory from the Russian Empire. And it is layers of ice cream that are then covered with meringue, toasted, lit on fire, blowtorched, whatever. I think it's obviously taken many iterations over the years, but essentially it's ice cream just enrobed in toasted meringue. Was it originally, like at Antoine, served with cake? 
You have, I think, a sort of unique component to the Baked Alaska that you make at Gage and Tolner that we're going to talk about. But I sort of think of Baked Alaska like has almost like a cake layer and then some ice cream and then some meringue. Yes? Yeah, or am yeah. I wrong? A lot of times you'll see a cake layer. I'm not sure the original, if it had that cake layer, yeah. but oftentimes you'll see, yeah, a layer of yeah. some kind of cake. And you've said that Baked Alaska is 100% a labor of love. Mm-hmm. And we will talk about that labor and that love. And also that you and Sohi, as we mentioned Sohi earlier, but she's the chef partner at Gage and Tolner, your mentor, my beloved friend, you said that the two of you decided to put it on the Gage and Tolner menu like the first time you were even discussing whether you would be working with Sohi on the project. Right. I mean, this was before, like, a lease was signed. This was... So just ahead of the game, it was like basically Sohi, her husband Ben, and Sinjin, who's the third partner. So the three of them had, this was probably in 2018 maybe, way before COVID, everything. They had seen the space, Gage and Tolner. So Gage and Tolner opened in the 1870s, closed in 2004, and the space remained intact because it's a landmarked interior. So we're very thankful for that. They saw the space and they were talking about, I don't know, should we do this? Should we bring Gage and Tolner back to life? And I had lunch with Sohi and she was like, we might, we're thinking about doing this. I don't know. And I was like, well, I want to make the dessert and I think there's a baked Alaska on the menu. And she was like, absolutely. Yes. (laughs) It was so just one of those moments. And over the like R&D process and the menu development, so many things came and went. But the Baked Alaska from day one was just like, I don't even think the flavors evolved at all. I think those were the first flavors that I was like, that that's going to be it. I love that. We're going to talk about a version of the Baked Alaska that you serve at the restaurant that is great for home bakers, and we will get to that. But before that, I just wanted to talk a little bit about the process of making it in the restaurant, because I think that's, well... I'll speak for myself. I think it's super cool to understand the differences between what makes it a plated restaurant dessert versus what we do at home. And I think maybe the listeners of She's My Cherry Pie may as well. So it's a three-day process when you make it in the restaurant. And basically, when I was learning about the process in anticipation of chatting, it basically is like assembling an ice cream cake in the sense, if you have ever done that, listeners, in the sense that the reason it takes so long even for a home baker, is that each component, each layer of ice cream has to set before you can add the next. So the assembly, although easy, is like this drawn-out process. In the restaurant, day one of Baked Alaska, you're making your ice creams in-house. You're going to make a dark chocolate, a fresh mint, and I know you've said you you like to have both of those in the Baked Alaska because that's one of your fave combos. The best. And I love you for that because it's one of mine too. And then the third flavor is a vanilla that's swirled with a heap of boozy amaretto cherries. Yeah, yeah. And so I wondered if first you could tell us, like, is that dark chocolate cocoa powder and melted butter? Is the fresh mint just mint leaves or is there some extract? And then I'm embarrassed, but what's a boozy? Am I even pronouncing yeah, the right? Yeah, it's actually Amareno they're cherry? not they're not boozy. I think at one point I was like playing with booze. Okay, good to know. In the recipe, and then I decided that I didn't want it to taste boozy. Yeah, it wasn't what I was looking for. So they are amarena cherries. What's an amarena cherry? Why is uh, that special? It's a cherry in syrup, and it's a really fancy maraschino cherry, which. 
I love a not fancy maraschino cherry. Like I could eat a whole jar of them. Right. You need that. You like even if you don't like maraschino cherries, you need it on your Sunday. You need it. You always yeah. need it. Yeah. Cherry. These ice cream flavors, people are like, what's the inspiration? And I'm like, they're just my favorite flavors of ice cream. That was it. I was just like, what do I want in each bite of this dessert? So the dark chocolate ice cream has both cocoa powder and chocolate in it that we melt through. It's super rich. That base is almost like chocolate pudding. I mean, you could just eat it like that. Like, it's so good. (laughs) And it's a dark chocolate. We use a 66%. What's the brand you guys use at work? I have, like, different brands for different purposes. But in Um, this ice cream? But in this ice cream, it's Valrona. And, yeah, we different, like, the chocolate tort. I use a different brand. It's, anyway. So that one is just, it's so fudgy. It's so rich. It's not too sweet, which I really like in balance with the other flavors. And is it a custard with eggs and yolks and cream? Yeah. So almost all of my ice creams start with milk, cream, sugar, and egg yolks. And then the flavor. Yep. And that's pretty much it. And then the mint ice cream is handfuls of fresh mint that just steeps in the hot milk and the cream. Then we strain it out. It's the most clear mint flavor. It doesn't have that sort of artificial peppermint flavor to it, which has its benefits and time and place. But for this, I wanted just a really kind of fresh clean mint flavor. Do you have to seep overnight or is it a few hours or No, even not even. Half an hour? I do we do about 20 minutes. Oh, great. Yeah, you just bring the milk and the cream up to like a kind of scalding, just steaming with the mint in it. Turn it off, cover it so it just sort of traps all that flavor in there and then that's it. Then I love that. Yeah, it's so simple. And then the vanilla is basically your custard base and then you're swirling those cherries yeah, throughout. Yeah. So We make just a really, I love a good vanilla ice cream, Mm. just good vanilla beans, just super simple. And then as the ice cream is being churned and coming out of the machine, we're like swirling all those cherries through. Love that. And it's just the best. That's a product that you buy, the cherries. Yeah. Yeah. Is that a brand that people could buy? Yeah, they're Luxardo cherries in syrup. I'm not allowed to keep them at home because I'll eat the entire. I can picture the jar. Does it have like a yellow? Yes. Light? Yes, it's such a pretty little jar. And it's jar. such a great ingredient. It's like one of those things that I just love having around because the syrup you can use for stuff too. You can drizzle it on ice cream yeah. and just make yourself a very fancy Shirley Temple, that kind yeah. of thing. They're just a wonderful ingredient. I love that. Day one, where we made all of these ice creams, basically we're just making the custard that day and you're not churning that day. Correct. So I like to make all the ice creams and then let them sit. I let them cool and then we chill them overnight because it helps them really thicken and get Mm -hmm. like super just rich and creamy. Yep. Makes sense. So I'm never churning them the same day that I'm making them. Day two, the ice cream gets churned, and that would be when you'd be swirling in the cherries. Yeah. So I use these big square silicone molds. Mm-hmm. I'll get nine orders out of each one. How big are they? So I picture like a nine by nine. Yeah. Yeah. I would say cake, it's about... A square nine by nine cake pan. Yeah. Ish, but with taller sides. Yeah. 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 About, I would say, like three inches high. And this dessert is a big dessert. Like it's meant to be for two, right. 
my mother got it once and said, this is for four people. This right. is crazy. She's wrong. I'm, I'm into jumbo. I'm into this dessert. I get it every time I go. And I practically, well, I mean, can I guess I need to share, but I could practically eat it by myself. But I have to disagree with your mom. <laughs> anyway, so we have these silicone molds, which just make the process of like unmolding them really pretty easy. And I have a really big batch ice cream machine. And it'll churn three quarts of base at a time. So it'll end up yielding five quarts of ice cream at a time. Because as it churns, it gets it fluffs up. We start with the vanilla layer. And as it's coming out, the cherries just get, we use like an offset spatula and swoosh it through. And we'll get about three quarters of an inch to an inch of ice cream. Then that goes in the freezer. The reason why we can do it all within a few hours is because our freezers at work are very powerful. They're going to be colder than your freezer at home. I'll do all of the vanilla layers. I'll do about eight or nine square molds. And of each ice of those cream. is making nine baked Alaskas. So about yeah. 81 baked Alaskas. Yeah, about. And each batch of ice cream that we make yields like six quarts before it's churned. We're going to get more out of that. And I just have one question. Yeah. I know when we get to the recipe for the home baker, we have to let our store-bought ice cream sit on the counter to soften it a bit. Yeah. Ice cream that is fresh that you made from scratch, once it's churned, is actually the perfect time to spread, correct? Totally. Because usually after you churn ice cream, I like to eat soft ice cream, so I sometimes eat it immediately at home yes. if I make it. But it's technically so you churn and then you freeze and then you eat because freshly churned ice cream is cold, not soupy, no. but soft, almost it's like, like soft, soft serve. It's like soft serve, and it's the most luxurious, delicious texture. If we're churning ice cream, sometimes people will just come by with a spoon and get a little fix. So it's coming out of the machine, and it's a very spreadable texture. But we have to work quickly because if it starts to melt and then goes in the freezer, that's when you start to get ice crystals. You really kind of got to, like, have a sense of urgency when you're on churning duty. The vanilla layer, vanilla cherry layer is first. Putting it in the mold, running back and forth to the freezer. It's like, it's a very funny process. And then the chocolate is the middle layer you know, about an inch of ice cream, let it set in the freezer. Our freezers at work are usually 20 minutes. I can get that layer set enough to to layer on the next one. And should I picture a huge walk-in? We have a huge walk-in freezer. The last layer is the fresh mint. And then once that's set up a little bit, we cover it in these chocolate cookie crumbs because, you know, a Carvel ice cream cake. Of course I do with the chocolate cookie crumbs is like the most nostalgic, delicious thing. And I kept on thinking about that when I was coming up with how we wanted to do this. I love that. And I was like, I don't think I want cake. I think I want chocolate cookie crumbs. It's a nostalgic thing that almost everybody can recall. And I think for dessert, it's really, I love finding those little elements Mm -hmm. that make people just go, oh my gosh, this reminds me of whatever. Because I think dessert is so iconic and we use it to celebrate stuff. 
it marks special moments. Love. And then a question for you. So are you making tons of chocolate cookies and are you doing them in sheets so that you can just crumble? Or are you literally making lots of cookies, shaping the cookies, I guess? No, we're not shaping the cookies. We make this very simple chocolate cookie. And I also, I wanted the dessert to be gluten-free because Mm -hmm. I just, I was like, I just want everybody to be able to enjoy this. Mm -hmm. So I wanted it to be, I mean, obviously it has dairy in it, but it's gluten-free. So the chocolate cookie crumbs I do with rice flour, Ah. which is awesome because it makes them really crunchy and crispy. Ah, Yeah. I love that. Yeah. So we just make a big batch of this chocolate cookie dough. We don't roll it out or anything. We don't shape it. We just bake it in these crumbles and kind of like... Sheet pan? Yeah. What should I picture? Like you have your cookie dough and then... A large sheet pan with a piece of parchment paper and then just... Like drop plops. pieces, plops of plops, plops of, of technical term here, peeps. Yes, plops. The, yeah, the plop of cookie dough. We bake it once it's cool and crisp. We just put it in the Roboku, and a Roboku is just a very large industrial food processor. And we just grind it up. Do you want it to be fine? I go pretty fine. Yep. Yeah. And we just will make eight quarts of it at a time. I assume cocoa powder. There's probably no melted chocolate. No, it's just sugar, butter, cocoa powder, rice flour, a little bit of kosher salt, and some egg to bring it together. Yeah, love it. it. And was there ever, I don't know why I'm obsessed with this, but was there ever any thought to do like a little layer of that between each layer of ice cream? I thought about it, but I liked when I sliced it how clean and perfect those layers looked. Yeah. So it's more of just one layer on the bottom, and then when we plate it, I put some more on the plate. Right. As the ice cream melts and softens a little bit, the cookies soak it up, and it's just, it's really delicious. I love that. So then that, we're still on day two. That's going to set. You've done your three layers of ice cream. You've pressed your cookie crumbs into the top. Then day three, and you stick that back in the freezer. Yep. Day three, you're unmolding from your nine-by-nine let's say, silicone molds, portioning out. So you're turning each one into nine baked Alaskas. So under all of that meringue, because I, listeners, I'm not kidding. I can't even count how many baked Alaskas I've had that Caroline has made, like so many. But anyway. <laughs> I feel like you had some of the first, too, I, I, because you were there, like, I right was, when we opened. like, banging on the door. Like, Is the baked Alaska ready? <laughs> so should I picture, before they get covered in meringue, are they literal cubes? Yeah. Ah. Yeah. It's a square of ice cream. I love and that. And it's... Maybe, I guess after it's like, you know, because stuff expands in the freezer. It's three by three, four by four, something like that. It's big. Yeah. It's big. It's almost a pint of ice cream. Oh, my God. Yum. No wonder I can eat a whole pint of ice cream at home. (laughs) I've been practicing with my baked Alaskas. You say at the restaurant you make the French meringue that covers the baked Alaska to order. Was it just, did you try thinking if you could cover them ahead of time and then yeah. realized it didn't work? We tried a whole bunch of different ways to do it and iterations. And sometimes the cook who would be plating the next day would say to me, like, this method isn't working. Can we try this? You know, it was a real trial and error. So originally I started with Swiss meringue, which real quick meringue lesson. There's three three kinds of meringue. You have French, Swiss, Italian. French is just... You're whipping the egg whites, adding the sugar, and that's kind of it. Swiss, you whip the egg whites with the sugar over a double boiler until the sugar dissolves, and then you 
put it in the mixer and, and really whip it until it's stiff peaks. But also butter, no? For Swiss meringue? Well, Swiss meringue, then that's Swiss meringue buttercream. Oh, you're right. You're right. You're which right. is the best yep. buttercream. Yes, it is. And then there's the Italian meringue where you make, you're whipping the egg whites and you make a hot sugar syrup and you drizzle it in. So we tried all different iterations of this. We tried Swiss meringue. We tried covering them with meringue ahead of time, leaving them in the freezer, then blowtorching them. We tried it in a piping bag, all these different things. Nothing was quite working for the full duration of service. We would make a whole bunch of meringue ahead of time. It would start to fall by the end of dinner service because dinner service starts at 5. You might get your last ticket in at 1230. It's a very long time. And meringue will start to weep you know, all that. So what we landed on was actually making French meringue to order. And it's actually the least fussy, easiest way to do it. Although I assume you've meased, and meased folks just means that the chefs in the restaurant have set out ahead of time all of those cracked egg whites. So exactly. And are they all at room temp because it's easier to whip a room temp egg white or no? Yes. So what we do is we scale out tons of portions of sugar, 198 grams Mm -hmm. of sugar, and we'll scale out like 30, 40 of Mm -hmm. these. Egg whites, we do 143 grams, Mm -hmm. and we, we scale them out. I actually just, we have the egg whites in the low boy, and we oh. just do it from cold. From cold, and it's fine. Yeah, you know, in the restaurant, it's like we're very careful with things at room temp and all of that, and just for, like, food safety. And I find that it's fine. Also, I bet the restaurant environment is also maybe even warmer than— The kitchen's really warm. Yeah, so, so that it's helps. like I don't necessarily want the egg whites sitting out like yeah. that. So ticket comes in, and in the freezer you have portioned— your squares of baked Alaska just on a sheet tray. Ticket comes in, you dump the egg whites into just a regular size KitchenAid that we have on the station, start to whip it. They very quickly start to foam up and froth up and we'll get to soft peaks and then I start adding the sugar. And then that just whips for like a minute or two and that's it. And then the fun part Love. where you're Swooshing and swooshing and torching, swirling and torching, and the station has a blowtorch. <laughs> we get just like a Home Depot blowtorch. Yay! It's really my favorite thing to plate. It's so yeah. fun. Yeah. Well, it's my favorite thing to eat. So I can. I don't think I would think plating was that fun, but the eating oh, is very it's, fun. It's so fun. All right. Now I want to talk about how people can do this at home. Yes. So this is a recipe of Caroline's that she kind of created, I think, for us, although maybe it's been yeah. elsewhere. No, no, I did. Yeah. created this just for you. Yay! But it's similar to what we just talked about, but a little bit different. So we'll go through the differences and how people will make this at home. So for this recipe, you're just, you're literally buying three pints of ice cream. And if you want to be like the cool girls, a.k.a. Caroline, then you get cherry ice cream chocolate yeah. ice cream and mint but you could obviously you could use do whatever you want any flavors you want yeah. if you and you know what it works great with sorbet too ooh yeah if you want to keep it dairy free yeah or you want to do a little bit of both these are my favorite flavors but use your favorite flavors of ice cream do you have a favorite brand of store bought ice cream i think Häagen-Dazs is really pretty good it's really delicious i think van leeuwen's great I would say those are the two that I I usually go with. McConnell's is really good yeah. out of California. 
Next, we're going to place the ice cream in the refrigerator, not on the counter, to soften yeah. for about 45 minutes. Yeah, it's going to depend a little bit on your fridge and the brand of ice cream. You certainly don't want the ice cream to fully melt, but you want it to be easily scoopable and spreadable. So I like to put the ice cream in the fridge. I find that it tempers a little more evenly that way than the countertop. I think you're right because I think I try – I'm not proud of this, but I'm always trying to speed things up, cut a corner. And I think I if you it. leave it on the counter because you think it's going to be faster, I feel like the outside edge melts. Yeah. But the center doesn't. And maybe yeah. in the refrigerator, it's it, – It's a ha- little more – yeah, it's a little more even. Yeah. You just want to soften the ice cream. This recipe works really well in just like a standard loaf pan. Love it. That you would bake your – Whatever. Now, are we talking like eight and a half by? Oh, no, you say nine inch. I think nine inch is like the standard, but give or take, you know. So we have our nine inch loaf pan, and we're going to chill the pan, and we're going to line the pan in plastic wrap, correct? Now, I just had a little trick to share, and I wonder if you've ever done this, but sometimes it can be hard to line a pan with plastic wrap Mm -hmm. because it clings. It sticks to your fingers. It doesn't. So... If you sprinkle the inside of the loaf pan with a little bit of water oh, yeah. and then put in the plastic wrap, it will stick to the sides. Totally. The other thing you can do is a little bit of pan spray. Yep, which I also, I love water and I love pan spray. Once our ice cream is softened, we're going to start with the cherry ice cream, yeah. a la gauge, and we're going to use the back of a spoon or an offset spatula. Is there yeah. a brand of offset or a size of offset um, you would recommend? I would say like a smaller offset is going to be easy to get it into the pan. I'm not picky. I have a whole bunch of offsets at home. I think the ones I have at home are from Wilton. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Nice. So back of a spoon if you don't have an offset or an offset. I assume we're trying to get as even and yeah. yeah. But it's the entire pint. So just go to town. Just go to town. Whole pint. Great. And then we have to put that in the freezer. You said about 15 minutes? Yeah, I think because you're working with ice cream. First of all, your pan has been chilled. Yes. And you're working with ice cream that is still pretty cold. Mm -hmm. You know, we're not like the ice cream at work is coming out of that machine and it's soft serve consistency. Your ice cream is probably going to be a little firmer and it doesn't need to be rock hard. You can test it. So if it's soft and soupy, let it freeze a little more. But if it's like relatively firm and set up, you can go ahead and do the second layer. And the issue is you don't want to, well, first of all, you don't want liquidy because of what you described earlier. You don't want icy. icy. But you also don't want, the reason I think we're setting it is we don't want, when we put the chocolate on top of the cherry, we actually want, as you've described, that great, very sharp line between the two flavors yeah. and the two colors. And if the ice cream on the bottom is too soft, then the chocolate's going to get swirled in there and it's going to be a little muddy. Yeah. So when you're tempering the ice cream, I actually think I'd, I didn't write this. You might want to stagger tempering the pints of ice cream in like, you know, 20-minute increments or something like that. Just so you don't, by the time you get to the mint, it's not soup. Yep. That, you know? That's smart. That makes sense. So then we we started with our cherry. We put it into the freezer for 15 minutes or so. I mean, those are yeah, the kinds of things. it depends. Everybody's like, freezer is a little different. Depends how, how full your freezer is. So then we repeat this step with the chocolate ice cream yep. and then with the mint ice cream. The mint 
which is our last flavor. Does that need to set up for 15 minutes before we add the crumbs, or should we just add the crumbs before we stick it in the freezer? As long as your ice cream is not getting soupy, you can do the crumbs right away. But if you want to give it a little bit of time in the freezer, it's... Give it either way. Yeah, either but we way. kind of want to pack them in just so they really adhere. I mean, they're going to yeah. adhere, but yeah. just so they really adhere. Yeah, and, um, and you can use any use any chocolate cookie that, that you, you like. like yeah, you know? I was going to say that my go-to is Nabisco, but yeah. I think there might be a shortage right now. Oh my god. You could make a chocolate cookie. Totally. I also wonder, this is like a little extra, but it's kind of very me. You could even maybe grind up Oreos. Oh, totally. Be so totally. Good. I love Oreos. Yeah. And so, I mean, I had written this, but now I know. I was imagining that maybe it was almost like the crumbs you make when you make a cookie crumb crust. Absolutely. So I was imagining yeah. like melted butter and this. But really, this is just crumbs. You don't this have to do anything. Crumbs. Yeah. And if you want them a little coarser because you want some like textural variation in there, go for it. Yep. I love that. So we're packing our crumbs on top, and then we're going to freeze for at least six hours or overnight. Yeah. So you could make this, if you want to serve this at a dinner party, you could do this a few days ahead and just leave it in the freezer. At this stage. At this stage, yeah. Perfect time. When you're ready to serve it, you're going to make your meringue. You're going to whip six egg whites until foamy soft peaks. Yeah. Two questions. Is there a particular speed on the stand mixer? We talked about the room temperature issue for the restaurant, but would you tell folks at home to bring those egg whites to room temp? Yeah, you can bring them to room temp. You want like high speed. Okay. You're really trying to get them, really get some air in there. Okay, great. You know? So once we have soft peaks on high speed, we're going to start to add about one and a half cups of granulated sugar, Mm -hmm. two tablespoons at a time. Yep. Whipping constantly until all the sugar is incorporated, but doing so slowly, yes? Yeah. If you add it all at once, it's going to just deflate your meringue. So you want to add it a little bit at a time so it can incorporate and remain really stable. And then once it's all incorporated, you'll want to keep whipping it for another like minute or so to make sure that sugar is getting dissolved. And do you do that test where you stick your fingers in to see if it's gritty between your two fingers? Yeah. And then also we're looking for stiff peaks. I mean, you're probably now at this point, you just look in the bowl and know. But for people at home, take off the whisk attachment from the mixer, stick it into the meringue, bring it out and turn it upside down. And if it stands up straight, we're good to go. You're good to go. Love. Yeah. Now we're going to unmold. So invert our loaf pan onto our serving platter. Yep. Using a blowtorch, you said, yeah. to kind of release the totally. cold pan so from the, the cold the ice cream. The one thing you're going to need for this is a blowtorch. I really think it's such a fun tool to have around. So why not invest in one? They're not expensive. And you can get just one of the little culinary ones is fine. You don't need the one I have at work is pretty big. <laughs> yeah, I have a little culinary one. I know. I love the one that Zoe has. Oh, my gosh. Zoe Francois. Oh, she was on amazing. season one of I mean, She's My Cherry Pie. We talked blowtorches, of course. And she's a baked Alaska aficionado queen. queen. But she has this, like, giant blowtorch that yeah. cracks me up. Hilarious. I also thought that if one did not have a blowtorch, one could, at least to get the pan off, you can run a dish towel under hot water yeah. and kind of rub the pan, and that will usually allow it to, to release. To release. Yeah. yeah. Now we're going to use an offset spatula again or a large spoon. Could we use the back of a large spoon? Large spoon. I actually even just like a regular spatula. Oh, I, great. When I do it at work, I kind of use both a regular spatula and then like an offset to get all those swoops. Is yeah. there a brand of flexible spatula that you like? I love gear. Yeah. 
So I have those in like every color. Yeah, They're so I love, fun. I have a pale pink one. So we cover the loaf with the meringue. You might use a combo of your offset or a spoon and then your big flexible spatula. Yeah. You create dramatic swoops and tufts of meringue. Yeah, and um, have fun with this. Make it as dramatic as you want. And is there a technique, like a wrist flick or something you do to kind of... It's kind of similar to frosting a cake and getting those swoops and swooshes. And, and I always think just upwards strokes so that your meringue is creating these peaks that go up. I love it. Yeah. And you said that for this recipe that folks can get on the Cherry Bomb site, you said there may be some leftover meringue. Yeah. I was really happy to hear that because I will be eating it. Yeah. You can just I, eat it with a spoon. Oh, my God. I love meringue You might have some so leftover meringue. It depends on your egg whites and all that and how you it. shape it, yeah. too. And But don't be scared to pile it on. Yeah. Yum. Yeah. And then we're going to blowtorch the meringue. But I had a question. If you do not have a blowtorch, but you're dying for baked Alaska, how do you feel about sticking this cutie under the broiler? You can totally do it. It's not going to be as even of a toasting. Right. But you can do it. And would you do, like, watch very carefully, obviously. Maybe yeah. don't even close the oven. I wouldn't even close the oven. I would rotate it a yeah. little bit carefully. Probably a minute or two. I mean, two? probably not even. You think I less. bet it would go yeah. really quick. And yeah. you might have trouble getting the toasting on the sides. Yeah. But... Listen, it's still going to be delicious. Yep. yep. I love that. Yeah. And you can serve this right after you toast. You don't have Yeah, because what I, I find happens is by the time you've unmolded it and gotten all the meringue on it and toasted it or blowtorched it, the ice cream starts to temper a bit. It, it should be a really nice texture for serving. Nice. And also, I forgot to mention... With these cookie crumbs that we're buying, we're just going to either grind those up in a food processor or we oh, can yeah. put them in a zippered plastic bag and, and whack them with a rolling pin. Yes. Right. And I know you said you do this for the restaurant, but it might be nice for peeps at home to, when they're plating that dessert for their family and friends, put a little extra crumb yes. on the plate. Yeah, because it's just nice, like, texture. And like I said, the ice cream kind of melts into it. It's delicious. I love it. I love it. Oh, also, when slicing the loaf, serrated knife... I use, chef's knife. I use a chef's knife. You could use either. Dipped in yeah. hot water I like and to dry. I dip it in hot water and dry it just because it makes it a little easier yeah. to slice through. And you should get these, like, beautiful slices. Love. And just plate them up. But I did want to mention a couple of the other things at Gage and Tolner that you do, which are so great and that people love. The coconut cake. Can you oh, describe the Gage and Tolner coconut cake? Oh, I love the coconut cake. She is 11 layers. So six very thin cake layers made with coconut milk, like a chiffon layer cake. And then there's layers of coconut cream. That we make with, like, a, it's a coconut pastry cream that we make with Coco Lopez, which is, like, one of my favorite ingredients ever. It's so good. Mine, too. And there's one, the center layer, just one layer of lime curd in the middle. It gets some Swiss buttercream, some toasted coconut, a little bit of cashew, pink peppercorn brittle. And we change the fruit garnish seasonally. Right now, I'm still using candied kumquats. We've put blueberries on it and raspberries, and it's just, I love that cake so much. I love that. And can you tell us about the Chev cheesecake? Oh, yes. So I love cheesecake, obviously. I didn't want to just put, like, a classic New York cheesecake on the menu. I just was thinking that, you know, I, I wanted to do something a little different. Down the block from Junior's, they're very famous for their cheesecake. And I've always loved using goat's cheese and cheesecake because it's really 
bright and lemony and tart. It's a little bit lighter than cream cheese. There's something just really like bright about this cheesecake. And it's also an amazing canvas for seasonal fruit. The cheesecake is always on the menu, but the garnish changes all the time. So right now it's with rhubarb and pistachio. You know, it had citrus on it for citrus season. I've done it with roasted pear, plums in the summer, cherries. I love that dessert so much because it is very true to the season, and I also really see myself in it. I love goat's cheese, and it's just like a very unique, special cheesecake. I love that. And finally, I mean, maybe even I love these as much as the baked Alaska, but I'm not sure. Tell us about your Parker House rolls. Oh, the Parker House rolls. So those, you know, I worked on a lot with Chef Adam, our executive chef, Adam Shepard. And we did so many tests with how to bake them and serve them and all of that, you know, how much butter and all of these things. But they are super fluffy and butter rich. And we bake them in these cute little cast irons. They get bathed in butter like four times throughout their life cycle, I guess. And they come out piping hot with some flaky sea salt on them and the butter just like pools right in the center and they're the best way to start a meal. And I actually I wish I was eating them right now, so I feel like they're the best way to end a podcast. Yeah. Thank you so much for chatting with me today, Caroline. And I just wanted to say that you are my cherry pie. You're the best. That's it for today's show. Thank you to Plugra Premium European Style Butter for their support. Don't forget to subscribe to She's My Cherry Pie on your favorite podcast platform. And tell your baking buddies about us. She's My Cherry Pie is a production of the Cherry Bomb Podcast Network and is recorded at City Vox Studio in Manhattan. Our producers are Carrie Diamond and Catherine Baker, and our associate producer is Jenna Sadu. Thank you so much for listening to She's My Cherry Pie. And happy baking!